0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, May 20th, we are studying Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. Righteousness through the law says, do this, don't do that, and by these deeds you will live. But the righteousness through faith speaks an entirely different word. The Lord has done what you could not do. Believe in him, and you will not be put to shame. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, the Reverend Dr. Adam Filipek. Pastor Filipek serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Pastor Filipek, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks so much, Pastor Apple, and greetings and welcome to our listeners. In the name of our crucified, risen, reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come.
0: Pastor Philippe, as we get started this morning, give us some context. Romans 9 through 11 is this, this big unit here in the, the middle of, of Paul's letter. We've looked at the first part, and, and really it seems that Paul starts to, to transition here to a slightly new topic or the same topic from a different angle. Where have we been? What do we need to know going into today's text?
1: So it certainly can seem like 9 uh, through 11 come out of nowhere because, quite frankly, we've shifted our discussion to... Jewish listeners specifically who have rejected the gospel. And we're playing uh, back and forth with uh, why is it that there is people who are not being saved if Christ died for all. So Paul is addressing this, but it isn't exactly out of nowhere. If you're following uh, the thought of Romans, Romans chapter 8 led us to this point, and what led us specifically there was how chapter 8 ended, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus right? I'm convinced that nothing, and he went through a whole list of things for us, height, depth, death, life, nothing in all of creation, rulers, right? Things present, things to come. Nothing can separate us. Well, those listeners then are, are kind of thinking, well, if nothing can separate us, why are some of us separated? And that's why we've kind of launched into this whole discussion in 9 through 11 about those who are separated in their unbelief, Um, namely the Jews who hold to works righteousness, which we're going to talk about today. But before that, the whole sweep of Romans has been just that. It has been that it is not by the law that we are saved. It's not by the obedience of the law that we are saved and that salvation comes to us. No one is justified. No one is declared righteous in a right-standing relationship before God except by Jesus, who was put forth as a propitiation. And we moved how, from into chapters 1 then about how uh, no, the Jews were under this, and then the Gentiles and Jews who were proclaiming, look at what you're doing, look at how bad you're doing this, repent. They're doing so rightly, but at the same time, while they're doing it, they themselves are secretly living in this, right? The, the very sins that they're condemning outwardly in the world are the very sins that they themselves are practicing. So by the time we get to chapter 3, then, of course, everyone is condemned under sin. No one is righteous. All sin all falls short of the glory of God. The just wages of sin is death. But our hope is in Jesus. Chapter 4, we are promised uh, that we are in Jesus. We are heirs of the same promise of Abraham, sons of God through faith. And though we were once enemies in chapter 5, still now the love of Christ has been proclaimed to us. God's shown his love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in chapter 6, we've taken in this turn about, well, if Jesus did everything, right, if he's, if he's died for me and salvation is solely by he, what he does and not by what I do, and if I sin, God's grace always appears greater than mine, well, then I, I might as well go ahead and sin more, because God's grace is going to look that much greater in my life. So Paul then in chapter six says, shall you continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can you who have died to sin still in it live in it? Or do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death? You were buried with him, right? So we were joined to Christ in baptism. We're no longer slaves to sin, But we are slaves to righteousness, slaves to God in Jesus Christ. But yet our lives don't always look like that. Chapter 7, Paul finds himself, why is it the things that I don't want to do? I try to obey the law, but the things that I don't want to do, which is breaking law, that's what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. And 7 turns... Then that it is. It is only by Jesus and God has put that Spirit within us. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, has been put into us. We are dwelling places for the Holy Spirit, and we are then sons of God. Right? We cry, through that Spirit, that Holy Spirit, Abba Father is cried out. So then, yeah, that separation, and then we're kind of into this whole thing that there are those. Then, even though all of this is done by Jesus and the Holy Spirit's work is is in. There, the believers, they are confessing the name of Christ. Still, there, there are those who remain separated. And so that's where the turn has taken us. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's go ahead and dig into the text. We're in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the text for today, Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. Pastor Philippe Paul closed the previous text saying that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so he's, he's going to, flowing out of that, he talks about Moses writing about the righteousness based on the law, and it it's given when a person does the commandments. This is something that Paul has laid out elsewhere in Romans, that the law demands deeds. You, you must do them. Now, one of the one of the things and and with that verse previously that Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. It, you might get the picture that that the law is is somehow bad, but it doesn't seem that that's really what Paul's laying out here in verse 5.
1: It certainly can like that. You kind of get that impression a little bit if you're just glancing over things. If you're reading it, it can easily look like, you know, the law and, and Jesus are somehow opposites, right? That they're contrary to one another, law bad, gospel good sort of thing like you sometimes hear, even in Christianity. But if you read through Scripture, all of Scripture, and you read through Romans, you get a very, very different picture than that quick analysis. So just throughout the Old Testament, right? Psalm 1 Verses 1 to 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Get this, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119 echoes the same thing, verse 97, oh how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day long. So we could rehearse all the different parts throughout all of Scripture that talk about the law. The law is not a bad thing. The law is actually just the Word of God, right? It is It is complete, it is whole, it is the Word that was spoken even back in the Garden to man before the fall into sin, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All these different things that are spoken, it's not, it's not, Bad. It's actually meant for our good, usually, for our protection, things like that. The law is not a bad thing. Well, Paul knows the Old Testament. And so he is really, really poignant at this as he goes throughout Romans as well. So the reader has to be careful in their reading. Otherwise, you can misconstrue something that Paul has not said. So if you kind of look throughout this whole scope of Romans, then, just to go back somewhat into the immediate context, Romans 7. Uh, Verses 7 and, you know, you can go all the way through 13, but Paul talks about what shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. Absolutely not. The law is, and here's how he describes this, holy. And the commandment, holy and just and good. Well, if that is isn't enough to settle it, but he's called the law holy and just and good because it's the word of God, right? The law is the word of God as well. Did that which is good then, Paul says, bring death to me? No, it wasn't the law that brought death. It was sin that produced the death in me, which, you know, the law, being good, shows me my sin, and through that law then, Paul continues talking, in order that sin might be shown to me, and through the commandment, I might become sinful on all, all measure. So the reiteration of the law, the law is holy, and the law is good, and the law is right, And the one who does it shall live quite frankly that's what is told us in leviticus chapter 18 verse 5 if a person does these things does the law then he shall live by them it's no different than what jesus has said in matthew 5 48 be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect it's no different from the response that jesus gives in mark or in luke to the rich young ruler who who says what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus says Why do you call me a good teacher? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, and he lists a bunch of the commandments. And he says, all these I've done since I've kept, since I was a boy, the rich man says. And Jesus says, you lack one thing, right? So you haven't lived by the law, but the law has always promised. If you do this, then you will live. You will live long in the land that you are going to. Even in our catechism, the older now, you we get this at the conclusion, but the older translation in the 41 edition talks fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother, and then the promise is attached to that, as it was in Scripture, that it may be well at the end, thou mayest live long upon the earth, live long in the land, right? So, so life has always been a, a part of that law, that if you do this, if you abide by it perfectly without fail, then nothing bad will happen to you. You will live. And that's how we were created, from the time that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life after forming us from the dust of the ground. We were created to live with God forever, to be obedient to God, to follow His ways, to look to Him for all good help and support. So the the, the law is good, it's not bad. The problem comes in, as Paul has talked about, the problem is not the law, but back in Romans 3, to even back it up past 7, is that No one is righteous. No one seeks God. No one understands all sin. All fall short of the glory of God. We have together become worthless. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, may be shut up, if you will, and the whole world be held accountable for God. For by the works of the law, no human being is justified in the sight. For since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law... As good as it is and as holy as it is, we cannot fulfill the law. We cannot be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So there is a great chasm, a great separation from Genesis 3 that is fixed between God and us, and no matter what we do, we will never earn our way back into God's presence. We will never be good enough to enter heaven. We can't be perfect, which is why in Genesis 3 and 15, God has to do something. He says, I will put enmity, I will cause separation, I will cause division, serpent, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her. So throughout the Old Testament, it has always been about the promise, and the law is good and it is holy, but when we see the, ourselves in the law, man, we look like if you've ever if you've ever gotten out of the bed in the morning, Pastor Apple, and looked at yourself in the mirror, that's before you've combed your hair, brushed your teeth, any of that stuff. That's how we look, right? Especially of God. Even our bed especially
0: right like now, right? Especially right now during the quarantine. Yeah, I mean, yes, exactly right. <laughs> we look terrible getting up. So, so the I mean the the point the the point I think that that you're making here, Pastor Philip Heck, is is that the when Paul says here about the, the righteousness based on the law says that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. He's not saying that the law is bad, but he's simply laying out yet again this is the this is what the law does. The law can only tell you do this, and that's the way that you live. So that that's not a that's not a bad thing. What makes it a bad thing for us is that we're bad, we're evil, we're sinners. So it's it's not again he's he's not condemning the law or saying that the law is the bad guy. Rather, he's, he's saying the law shows that you're the bad guy because you can't do what the law says. And he, he lays that out, I, I think, in verse 5 here so that he th- can then contrast it with the, the righteousness that's according to faith. Take us take us into the, what the righteousness according to faith, as he starts talking about in verses 6 and following, take us into what the righteousness of faith says.
1: Yeah, so the righteousness of faith says something different. In essence, um, the righteousness of faith, he uses sort of as a personification. Here's what the righteousness of faith then actually says, and he gives two statements. Um, Righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, for that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, into the realm of the dead, for that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So both these statements are really kind of contrasting and correlating one very important thing the work of man right the work of man in the midst of being in a right relationship and justified before god's presence Right, and so he uses two different words, but they have the same. Even though they seem to be opposite, ascend and descend, they've got the same focus of of work of man. And the Greek does this beautifully. It it shows us this. Um, both those words, ascend and descend, in the Greek, ascend is. And, a uh, and it's actually kind of funny, because we don't necessarily do this in English, but in the Greek, it, it has a middle voice to it. It has a, a reflection in it of ourselves. So with that in mind, you might actually translate verse 6 like this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend for themselves into heaven? Right? Look, look at that emphasis wholeheartedly on an individual's person's work. I've got to do something to access God. And the same thought carries through in the word descent. Same base word, basati, only this one's kata basati, which, again, reflects of middle. You might translate it, who will descend for themselves into the abyss. And again, notice the emphasis is on a person's work. I mean, this is exactly where the law gets us. The law says do. And so by the fabric of our being, we, yes, know that we should do. The problem is that we that we don't do the things that we should be doing and want to do, as St. Paul says. And so the world, the religion of man, the works righteousness, often manifests itself in three sort of different ways. When you, when you talk about, to just people in general, about how if you're having a conversation about heaven and they believe there's such thing as heaven, right? Um, which there is, according to the the word of God, but they may may not believe that. But to the ones who do, when you have a conversation about, you know, how are you certain you're going to get into heaven, or how do you know that you're close to God, or how do you how do you know that you that God is pleased with you? It usually has three different aspects, but all wholeheartedly rely on the work of man. The first one is works. I, I've done good. I've tried hard. I followed this. I've worked hard here in this area, right? So by works, I've, I've kind of climbed that ladder to God. Uh, I, I've ascended up to God. Or it could be by feelings. I see sometimes get this in uh, modern worship wars and talk, talking about uh, what you have and, and did you get out of worship and, oh, I, I, I feel so close to God. I, I, or the spirituality thing, I go in nature so that I can feel close to God. Notice the emphasis on inwardness, self, and feelings. It, it's all internal, right? Or it may be even the third way, by intellect, because I know, because I'm smart enough, because I've studied this, because all of these different things. But works and intellect and you know feelings tend to be the, the three different ladders that we try to ascend uh, or basicize toward God. And quite frankly, uh, Paul says the righteousness that is of faith says none of those things it doesn't look at itself it doesn't say how can i do this because it knows that it is by nature sinful and unclean it knows that it is as good as dead and that it cannot a dead person cannot rise to life in and of themselves it can they cannot ascend to god so the righteousness of faith doesn't say anything of that like that mm-hmm. and then he turns what does it say the word is near you in your mouth And in your heart. Let me pause there for a minute, in case you want to comment on anything before I get to nine and ten. There,
0: yeah. Let's. I mean, let's spend a little bit of time reflecting on these on these ways that man thinks he can access or ascend to God. I think you, you mentioned three: the the matter of works that we think this is a way that we can earn our standing before God; the matter of our feelings that somehow we can feel ourself our way to God or the intellect that we can we can think our, our way to God. H- how do we h- how, do, how do you see those prevalent in today's world or what's the temptation of those? And yeah, t- just just reflect on those three a little bit more for us, Pastor philippic
1: Sure. So with each of these, you kind of will let me just precursor this by saying you'll usually find, uh, in individual people, all three of these different things at work in some respect. So it's not neat little clean lines like, oh, you're a works guy or you're a feelings guy or you're an intellect guy or, or things like that. It, it always kind of comes together. Um, so you end up with a lot of different things. So a lot of the, you know, let's start kind of with, with intellect here. Um, intellect is is a big proponent of things in our Western culture. I mean, academia is, you know, people are getting more degrees. People are, are working things The the whole concept of rationalism and the enlightenment in the late 1700s into 1800s, the emphasis on uh, empirical knowledge, tasting, touching, smelling, seeing, hearing. I know for certain these things exist. So the temptation is always that I can trust what I know and what I can ascertain by my senses. Um, I can think better than any one of these things. You know, we, we often think that if, if people would just stop talking for five minutes and let us talk, then this world, then our homes, then our society, would be a, we'd be a much, much better place. So we have a lot of emphasis. And none, none of the intellect itself, like, like thinking, is not a bad thing. Science is not a bad thing. But we need to recognize that these are corrupted by sin and they have limits the quickest way to sort of maybe understand the facade of intellect is to even ask a question of a person you know how do you when you step outside you look up at the sky what color is it and they might say blue and you say how do you know what blue is and they might say because i can see it yeah but here's the thing knowledge doesn't only come that way right yeah. Somebody has to tell you what the color blue is. You have to have a worldview. You have to have an understanding by which to interpret that. So knowledge is often imparted to you, and it might be right imparted wrongly, or there might be corruption, or you might have all these things. It's just kind of man is the ultimate there. In terms of feelings, we often see things, um, like I gave the example of going out into, um, <laughs> well, I'll just say it like this. Star Wars is big on this one, right? Um, the feeling, the force, let it flow through you, things like that. The energy that flows through you, but it's about um, your feelings. You know, feel your anger, all of these different things. Well, you hear people talk about how they they go out into nature. Uh, to feel closer to God, or they've worshipped, and man with all of the different the different emotions that they felt, they just se- felt so close to god. well, yeah, those those things certainly do stir God's wonder and in creation, uh, yeah, it is breathtakingly beautiful, but again, Paul has told us back in Romans, what can we really know about God based upon what we observe, uh, maybe that he that there is a higher being, but we can't actually know who God is, we're too sinful for that. And works, works is our normal habit, right? Um, if we just try hard enough, we can do anything we put our minds to, right? I mean, this is, this is the way of the world. And I can go in more in depth in that, but I have a feeling you want to maybe jump in and comment a little too.
0: Well, I, I think I think you're right on with all of them. And, and the, the feelings one in particular... I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm not, I'm not the best observer of the world perhaps, but it, it does seem that the feelings one is, is very prevalent these days where feelings has taken the top spot among these three right now. And again, they, they do, they interact there. It's hard to, to draw lines between them, but how often do we, do we declare something real because it, it feels right to us. I, I feel this. Therefore, it is true. Therefore it is, it is right. right. And, and when we, when we do that with God, well, I mean, that's, that's what you're, what you're talking about. And, and you, you see it all around it, it infiltrates the, I mean, this is a great temptation for us as Christians to, to base our faith on our feelings that, that I think that I'm close to God right now. That's uh, you use that language. You hear that language because I feel close to God right now. And I think the the problem with all of them, and perhaps you can comment on this briefly, we've got just about two minutes before the break. The problem with all okay. of this is that it they internalize. It, as you were saying, it's about what we do from the inside out rather than, and I think we'll pick this on the other side, what God does to us from the outside in.
1: Absolutely. That's that's the heart of this distinction. Even with feelings, uh, Pastor Apple, you know, just to show you how fickle feelings are, I can stick my foot out, you can walk by and I can trip you. How do you feel about me? <laughs> and if I say to you, I'm glad I did it. I meant to do it. How do you feel? Now, what if I say to you, I, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I did not want to hurt you. How do you feel? Notice how feelings change. Feelings are fickle. They're not a barometer exactly for anything uh, for absolute truth or things like that. You can't rely on what's inside. You have to recognize that this creation is corrupted by sin. So you can't look in yourself, because when you look in yourself, there is no hope. If everything depends upon you, then how actually dependable are you? Do you always say and do what you say you're going to do? Mm.
0: And so... The righteousness based on faith does not say this, does not point us inside of ourselves, either to ascend for ourselves to God or to descend and bring Him up for ourselves. Rather, the word of faith is going to point us outside of ourselves to something else, not what comes from within, but what comes from without. And we will pick that up on the other side of the break. You are listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. Going to take a short break. But we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, May 20th. We're looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, with Pastor Adam Felipek of Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Pastor Felipek, prior to the break, we we looked at what does the law say? What does the righteousness based on the law say? That says do, and that's how you'll live. Then Paul turns us to the righteousness of that's based on faith. And first he tells us what it doesn't say. It, it doesn't say to us, ascend for yourself or descend for yourself, because it's not about what's in you. It's about something outside you. And that's where Paul's going to turn as he speaks. Now, positively, what does, in verse eight, what does the righteousness based on faith say?
1: Yeah, so the righteousness based on faith then does say, and he quotes Deuteronomy 30, 11-14 on this one, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, and that is the word of faith that we proclaim, right? All right, so we'll get to the, the second half of this, but um, we've already kind of talked a little bit uh, about uh, some of this in Romans already. This is a reiteration of what has been said. So Faith, the righteousness of faith, does not say, I need to look inward. It recognizes the truth of Romans 3, 9 through 10. There is no one who is righteous, no one who understands, no one seeks God. All sin, all fall short of the glory of God. All of these different things. It recognizes that there's no good inside. And so, it has to, faith has to cling to something external, something outside of itself. In other words, this is what Paul already wrote in Romans three twenty three through 25, all the way up through 28, all sin, all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace. Notice, outside of us, His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. For we hold that one is justified apart from the works of the law. So He's already given us this in Romans 3, that, that the only way anybody, Jews and Gentiles, the only way that anybody is getting into heaven is solely by Jesus Christ and him alone. By the blood of Jesus, God has put forth as a propitiation his only begotten son, Jesus. That blood, that sacrifice, that atonement, that paying for our sins, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus dies, that the free gift of God might be, for you, eternal life in Him. So this is the substance of faith. If faith doesn't look inward, it clings ever only to Jesus. And I like this word here, and I think we need to be a little bit careful here, and this is why I I do bring up the Greek, because the word is near you. If you're a John guy, you know, if you love the Gospel of John, then you hear the word word, and you think, oh, Logos, Logos, right, oh, the word is, is Jesus. But I want to be careful here because John uh, Paul does not use the John Logos here for word. He uses um, the 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 right, Greek word "rema," which would mean utterance or or the things themselves that are said. So when we get to ten, these things, these utterances that have been preached, are the word of are all about Christ, right? So he's going to come to chapter 10 verse 17 and well 14 through 17 it comes by hearing hearing through the the rhema of christ these utterances about who jesus is about his incarnation about his um coming as a baby in the in the manger as as his uh, fulfilling the law perfectly as his passive obedience his suffering and being obedient unto death even death upon the cross about Praying for us sinners. Father, forgive them. They know not what, he, what they do. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the, the Word is near you. It, it, you don't have to go anywhere to, to actually access God. Open up your ears and listen to what is being said. It is as near as the Word in your ears. That's how close Christ is to you. That's how close you are to God. The Word is near you, and not just near you, but you might say it this way, in you in your now this is a thought that he has carried over right it's in your mouth and on your, your on your lips in your heart sort of thing right so he's already talked about how the Spirit of God in eight is in us dwelling in us this is why the word of the Lord or this is why God's presence is near us because the word is actually dwelling there through the Spirit of God who is living and active in us and this is a whole conversation, confession with your mouth and belief in your heart, that ah, sometimes we Christians even even get a little wrong here. Sometimes we think it's all about me standing up and, and me saying my words and my accepting of Jesus. But, but faith in Romans and throughout Scripture, it's not a work of man. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's not our work. Uh, it's a work that is not proper to us, right? Actually... St. Paul goes on saying in the, where it comes and how it comes in the latter half of 10. It is a passive thing. It comes by hearing. And you notice it's, it's completely passive, right? Hearing is, it's just you're receiving this. And then, yeah, your mind is processing it and all that. But you're actually, your ear's just kind of receiving it. A, it's a passive thing. It's not active like talking. And notice the passivity of faith in 10. Well, elsewhere, in 1 Corinthians twelve three, St. Paul has said this, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what that means is even before you and I stand up and open our big fat mouth saying, I believe in Jesus, I truly am a Christian. I get all of this stuff. I love the Lord and I'll follow him all the days of my life. The only way that you are able to truly confess that is by the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. So faith is a gift of God. Faith is born, it is a work of the Holy Spirit that you might by hearing receive Christ, who is your righteousness, who is your hope, who is your life. It's passive. It's God's work on us.
0: Hmm. So let me let me just try to run this by you Pastor Philip because as you as you've laid that out for us very helpfully, I think if if we keep everything in context, the way that Paul is is doing this makes perfect sense and keeps us from some of the errors that you're, you're talking about. So he's he's told us already that the righteousness based on faith doesn't tell us to ascend into heaven or descend into the abyss to do something for us, or so, to do something for on our own to bring Christ to us. Rather, faith says in verse, the righteousness that's based on faith says in verse 8, that the word is near you. And how did that word get near to you? As, as you pointed out in verses 14 through 17, he's really gonna get into that with the, the preacher being sent. But here already he does say it's the word of faith that we proclaim. So so Christ came to you. You didn't go to him, you didn't go, you didn't ascend or descend to get him to yourself. Rather, he came to you through the word that's proclaimed. And that that word that came to you, it is now in your mouth and it's in your heart. And then well, what does that word do there in your mouth and in your heart? Well, in your mouth, that word confesses. It's, and again, it's not because not because you put the word there or because you're making the word active, but because the word's there, there's confession. <laughs> and and then in your heart, well, what's it what's the word doing there? It's 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 believing, it's it's faith. And again, that's not because you put it there. I mean, the the total opposite of what Paul is saying is that confession or belief here in verse 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 9 and 10 as, it, as it's coming is to make that into a work of ours because that would that would just completely contradict everything that he just said in verses six and seven. And I, I too I wonder also if if there's a, a bit of a parallel in verse verse 9 there, the matter of confession with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, corresponds to that idea of, of ascending into heaven because Jesus reigns as Lord, he, he's in heaven. And then the matter of, of bringing Christ up from the dead, that's that's a parallel there that, you know, you're believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Again, it's not what you do, but it's about what God has done for you. I don't know. Did that did that make sense, Pastor Philip? Because in my mind, it's just, it's a very logical progression that Paul's working with here.
1: It is. It is. And that's exactly what he is doing. Everything is um, passive. God is actively doing this, and all of this confession, yes, it is your lips that are doing it, um, your mouth that is confessing this, but all of this is coming together in you. But it is a work of God coming together in you that... By faith you may hold to the one who is righteousness, blessedness, and innocence, that you may hold fast to Jesus and be, um, you know, to use, I guess, a Galatians term, clothed in a robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all our sins, so that when God looks at us, he sees not the, he sees not the um, sinful rags of our good works, but he rather sees the, the blessed work of his Son whom he put forth as a propitiation. The blood of Jesus covers us. And because that blood covers us, the Father looks at us and says, you are my adopted son. The Spirit does live in you. Jesus, the intercessor, says, this one I have died for. He belongs to us, dear Father. And so this is all coming together in the person, but this is the work of God in us and on us. And it is marvelous in our eyes because, man, oh man, if everything depended upon me? To go back to what I said earlier then where is the hope and certainty of that? Hmm. Have I always been on time? I said I'm going to arrive here. Or have I ever been late a little bit? Have I always done what i said I'm going to do? See, the conscience, man, it it never has rest. If everything depends upon me, then I must wonder, where am I going to be? What is my standing before God? Have I really done enough? Have I really felt truly? Are my thoughts accurate and pure as they should be? But if everything rests on Jesus... Then he has said, it is finished, To Petelestai. I have done all the work of the law for you. I have brought it to completion. Um, Telios, the end of of, uh, 4 into verse 5 of Romans chapter 10. I have done it all, and all that I have done has been for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, the the danger, I I guess, in in verses 9 and 10 is to to hear that if you confess— and and if you believe, then right. I mean that that's that's the danger is to make confession or faith into works that we do, rather than as you said, works that God does in us, on us, for us, so that that this is all His accomplishment. So with with that, Pastor Philip, take us then into to verse eleven. Paul. I mean, Paul. It's amazing how much Paul draws from the Old Testament throughout this throughout the letter to the Romans, particularly this section in verses 9 through 11. Take us into what he, he brings up. I think we've, we've heard this before in verse 11, the quote that he offers for us there.
1: You have. You've heard it back in uh, chapter 9, verse 33, and it was the whole quotation that really launched into this discussion of why is it then that there are some who are not going to end up in heaven, some who do not believe. And he has gone through, is it because in chapter 9, is it because of God? Or because somehow he, he, his word is unjust, and he's absolutely said, no, no, God is, is um, just, and his word is faithful and true. Why is it? Well, it's because of Israel and their unbelief. And Jesus says the same thing, right, in, in Matthew, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to, to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but notice the emphasis, you, you have not been willing. So in chapter 9, we've dwelt on um, Israel's unbelief, the latter half of this. And this quotation was a scathing condemnation and indictment of Israel who refused to believe in Jesus, but actually pursued a righteousness of works. They thought they could actually please God by what they do, by trying hard, and they thought they were living a God-pleasing life. Well, they, they are not perfect, as their Heavenly Father is perfect. So this was used, this first half, Behold, I am laying a, a, in Zion a stone, a stumbling a rock of offense, well, yeah, this is a quotation of Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28, but this is exactly what has happened. Jesus has become a stumbling block, a stone of offense, and so they refuse to believe in this Jesus. They refuse to accept his works as theirs. They refuse to receive them, rather, and and anything like that. They, they, they have hardened their hearts, which goes back to Romans chapter 1. Um, they will not listen. They refuse, and so... Uh, What has been said already has been said against them, that this Jesus has become a stumbling block and a rock of offense, and it's because they refuse to believe that they are condemned. But here in 11, here in 11, he is using the latter half of that Isaiah 28, verse 16 quotation, as not a skating indictment, but rather as a confirmation of believers. St. Paul is using this the second half of that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's using that to say something along these lines. That you who believe, you who trust in Jesus, you who cling to Jesus by faith in him, you who hold fast to Jesus, You will have everything that Jesus has promised you. You will have, and you do have, forgiveness and eternal life with the Father. It will be completely and utterly fulfilled. And the groanings in chapter 8, the sighing that, oh, how much longer, all of these groanings with which the Spirit gives utterance, it will be fulfilled, and the day of resurrection will be at hand, and your Lord will come to you, and you will dwell with him face to face, which also says a lot about ascending and descending, because we don't ascend, do you notice how Scripture speaks of it? God comes down, right? God comes down to us. He descends to us. He incarnates. He tabernacles. He dwells among us. He will return. So that And John says, to take us to be with him, so that where he is there we may be also. So this is used, actually, the second half is now masterfully used, having said, well, here's the first half. He said, but, but you will not be put to shame. You who hold fast to him and trust in him for forgiveness, life, and salvation— you, the believers, who are clothed with Jesus' blood, you will not be put to shame. He will give you what he has promised. Mm.
0: And, and then Paul, as he, he's, he starts to wrap this section up then, he, he comes back to his, his theme that you've seen here throughout Romans. Well, it's, it's, in, it's throughout the book of Romans. It's not just in 9, 9 through 11. That in this matter, that the, the ones who believe in Jesus will not be put to shame— that's true of Jews and Greeks together. Again, Paul Paul reiterates this point. Take us into to verse twelve, Pastor Philip.
1: Yeah, so he he lumps everybody under them, just like he did in three. That there is no distinction between Jew and drink, Jew and Greek. All sin, all fall short of the glory of God. Right. He's also now used this whole synecdoche for everyone, Jew and Greek, meaning everyone. Um, No distinction between those who um, had the bloodline of Jesus versus those who didn't. There is no distinction. All are saved solely by Jesus and him alone. It is the same Lord that we have. It is the same God who bestows the same riches. And here's the faith part, for all who call upon him. Um, That is the faith part of it, all who call upon him. And then... He gives the, the quotation back. I love this. This is a quotation from Joel, which gets reiterated uh, at Pentecost. The fulfillment is at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. You've seen this in Joel, uh, the prophecy of Pentecost, and you've seen this in the, the fulfillment at Pentecost. Uh, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's going on at Pentecost is just that. The Spirit of God is at work, and you know the people are observing the wind and the tongues of fire and all that, and you know what they get out of all that? These guys are drunk. That's the best they can do. But it's not till uh, Peter stands up and preaches that all of this is going on, and he gives the Joel quotation, and then he says, because you killed Jesus. We're witnesses of that, but God raised him of the dead. We're witnesses of that. And so they're cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do? And he says, repent, every one of you be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. That's the Jew and Greeks next day, right? Everybody. You your children, and everybody who's far off from Jesus by sin. Well, everybody is. So this promise is for all, and all who call upon the name of the Lord um, will be saved. So this locates, again, salvation in Jesus, in Him alone, and this is for everybody. And later on in 11, he's going to tie that, that um, the Jew and Greek, it it remains as as consistent as it was in the Old Testament with Abraham, who was the father of nations. And the promise of abraham in genesis 12 all nations of the earth will be blessed in you right because of that christ child who's coming so he is going to open up our thought a little bit on who israel is and the true israel is not about bloodline it's about those who hold to the same faith and believe in the same god of abraham so the remnant of israel are those who hold to jesus and just as they did in in the holding to the one of the promise to come, so we hold to the promise of the one who has come. And in this, we have the same Lord, the same God, and Father of us all, the same one who justifies freely by his own blood. Mm.
0: And and the I mean, when he brings up that there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, the same Lord, Lord of all, this one Lord of both Jew and Greek, he bestows his riches on all who call on him. The The matter of of inheritance was important in chapter eight. That absolutely. That, and and so now what is it that both Jew and Greek receive? They both receive the riches of this one who has won. I mean this that's a that's an astounding thing that those who were not a part of the bloodline hadn't had these promises spoken to them as the people of Israel had. Now they receive the same riches in Christ. That, that's amazing.
1: Absolutely profound. Every tribe, every nation, every language, this is for all people. Uh, this is the even the echo of Revelation. Who are these coming out of the Great Tribulation? Right? Every nation, every tribe, every language, these are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are before him Day and night, right, and he who who shelter, he will shelter them with their presence, he will be their God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes so this is this is that blessed hope of the nations uh, in advent, we call him the savior of the nations, we look for his his coming, but he it's truly only through this promised Messiah that God has mercy on anyone and some sometimes here, and he's addressed this in nine ten and eleven sometimes we get this this weird thing that that you know um, why doesn't God save everybody? Jesus died for all people. Um, why doesn't God save everyone? Well, he's answered that, right? There's unbelief there. But uh, perhaps maybe the more profound question, in, in light of all of that we've been talking about, is a little bit of a reversal of that question, Pastor Apple. And it's just this. I am struck by, why does God save anyone? <laughs> I mean, this, we are all under sin. We are all condemned. Why does God Give his life as a ransom for us who are unworthy, who are enemies." But yet, this is the profoundness of Romans, and the profoundness of the Gospel. This He said this simply back in chapter 5. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us, right? While we were still sinners, enemies of God, unrighteous, right? All of these things, we are made righteous because Jesus chose to give his life. And he has put his spirit in us. And I think this is the uniqueness of baptism that we need to remember. Sometimes we telescope everything. Um, what's with uh, absolution? It's about the forgiveness of sins. And the Lord's Supper, it's about forgiveness of sins. And baptism, it's about forgiveness. Well, there, there, yes, you get forgiveness in all these sacraments. But what makes baptism unique is that we are dead to our sin. We are joined to Jesus. We rise with him. The spirit of God is in us. So we receive adoption. So baptism is all about our sonship in the Father, our inheritance. Communion, yes, it's all about dwelling with God, His very body and blood, eating and drinking, yes, for the forgiveness of sins, but being in God's presence. And absolution is wholeheartedly the forgiveness of sins. All have the forgiveness of sins, but this is for those who call upon the adopted sons of God by the waters of baptism, faith bestowed by the Holy Spirit.
0: That that quotation that he gives that closes out our text for today from Joel to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we've, we've talked about that our confessing with the mouth is not our action. Our our belief in the heart is not our action, but this is what God does in us and on us. What about this matter? What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? How how does God work that in us and on us as well?
1: So this is the mystery of faith that someone who is dead in their transgression, separated from God, might actually confess that Jesus is Lord. And this is where Romans 10 is going. How does this happen? Well, the Spirit works, works through the utterances about Christ, who he is, what he has done. The wages of sin is death, that's who we are, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is who God is, and this is what he has done for you. And all of this comes to us through through hearing, healed, grounded in, in 10. And as we go through, uh, we, we might even open this whole thing up to all of scriptures, right? This is the importance of what happens on a Sunday morning in the divine service, that I actually dwell in Christ's presence and that I confess. Even in our liturgy, we have two types of confession. And confession, I, I'm going to very broadly define it here, even though it could be certainly refined for other purposes, and it's not always the most helpful to think of it this way. But I would simply say confession in this sense is just speaking the truth. Confession of sin, speaking the truth about man. We are by nature sinful and clean. This is what God has said about this. This is who I am. This is right. And this is what he has said. I deserve your present and eternal punishment. Looking at me, this is what I find. But don't look at me, Lord. Look at your son, Jesus, right? I mean, this this is the plea of absolution. And God's word of forgiveness, I forgive you all your sins. And confession of faith is the other part of this. Right? This mimics with what we were saying with, um, conf- with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No one can confess that Jesus is Lord. So it is truly by God's word held before our eyes and the spirit working through that that we come to acknowledge and repent of our sins and live. But that same spirit of God that leads us that in that way also leads us to acknowledge the truth of who God is. So we confess our faith. And the confession of faith, this is who God is. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So both of these are acknowledging the realities about what Christ has said about us and what he has said about himself. And that only comes by the work of the Spirit in word and sacrament.
0: Pastor Philippeck, with just about three minutes here left on the morning, help us to, to wrap things up, summarize, give us the good news from Romans 10, verses 5
1: through 13. So, <laughs> The good news is that your salvation does not rest upon you. It is not found in you by how hard you try, by how much you feel, or by what you exactly um, think, like how hard you think and how uh, your intellectual capacity and ability. Salvation is not found in you. And thanks be to God that it is not, because if we come and look at ourselves, our works we are not the person. We are not the man or woman that we said that we should be. We're not even the ones that we know that we could be. We fail God, we fail others, and we fail ourselves, and because of that, we are dying. And we don't always feel what's good and right. Our perceptions are not always accurate, and our feelings betray us. And our thoughts, as good as and hard as we think, they are never truly the absolute be-all-end-all truth. You and I don't know everything. So if everything depends upon that, then we have no hope. We have no certainty. We have no confidence. But faith says, don't look inward. Look to Jesus. Faith is all about Jesus. The Spirit of God living and acting, active in the Word preached to us. And by that Word, we live. And by that Word, we move. We have our being, that Word, made flesh, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Him. And He has said, I forgive you all your sins. So it doesn't matter if you feel like anyone could or would forgive you, or if you, it doesn't matter, you know, if, I wonder if God could or would, if you're thinking he could or would, and it doesn't matter if you try hard enough to earn God's favor. It matters what God says, and he says about you, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved right? If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. But if you confess your sin, God will forgive you because he is faithful and just so. The comfort that you have is that Christ has spoken to you. He lives, and he moves, and he has his being, and that your being is incorporated there into the life of Christ. So that being in Christ, you now live, you now move, you now have your being, and you can go about your day and your life and Ultimately, your eternal life, knowing that God has not forgotten about you, He has not forsaken you, He has loved you unto death, even death upon the cross. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is with you, and you have life in His name.
0: Pastor Adam Phillippec is the pastor at Holy Cross, Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota, helping us today with Romans chapter 10 verses 5 through 13. Pastor Phillippec, thanks for your time today. Thank you. The word is near you. God sent you a preacher to give you that word. And it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. There in your mouth and heart, God works confession and faith so that when you call in the name of the Lord, his gift to you, you are saved. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.